Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Well, thanks for joining us. This is Connor Boyack with Libertas Institute, guest hosting for the day. In the final half hour of the show, we're saving maybe the best for last. A topic I'm excited to talk about with you, because in 48 hours, we are going to be celebrating what little of Thanksgiving, I guess, we're legally allowed to celebrate this year. And, you know, growing up, we've all been taught what Thanksgiving is about and its origins and what we kind of fondly think about from that little history social studies class nugget. Uh, Perhaps it was best summarized by uh, the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving story. Let's listen to a little clip from that to set the stage for what we're going to talk about. In the year 1621, the pilgrims held their first Thanksgiving feast. They invited the great Indian chief, Massasoit, who brought 90 of his brave Indians in a great abundance of food, Governor William Bradford and Captain Miles Standish were honored guests. We're joined today by Dr. Richard Ebeling, who is a senior fellow with the American Institute for Economic Research, to talk about maybe why Charlie Brown got it wrong. Dr. Ebeling, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me on. You published an article yesterday at AIER uh, talking about this. I I have my own from about a decade ago that I feel like every year I have to recycle and bring up because, you guys, Thanksgiving has a much more nuanced and interesting story at the heart of it that has a lot more relevance for our own lives. So let's maybe start very simply. Dr. Ebeling, why did Charlie Brown get it wrong? Why is the elementary school version of you know, like the pilgrims were struggling and the Native Americans had bounty and they shared and they were grateful and yay, Thanksgiving. Why, what does that narrative miss? Well, far be it from me to criticize Charlie Brown. I mean, <laughs> one of America's icons. Uh, I like Snoopy too. But uh, the, the fact is, is that uh, that is a sanitized version that has very little to do with reality. It sort of over skips over what is the, 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 the true story that says something very important about the founding of the United States um, long before there was a United States, obviously, uh, its founding principles and why it should be viewed as a heroic legacy. Uh, the, 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 the snapshot version is, is that the Puritans, the pilgrims, came from England to escape from religious persecution, and they wanted to set up what they called the New Jerusalem, New Society in America. But besides uh, having a community of like-minded people sharing their faith, they also wanted to escape what they considered the corruption and the materialism of the old world. And as part of their new colony, they would follow a different ideal, and that was the ideal of communism in the ancient Greek philosophers, Plato's, his book, The Republic. Uh, Property would be shared in common. Work would be done done in common. 
uh, the fruits of their communal or collective labor would be divvied out in equal common shares. And they believe that, that by living in that way, you would change human nature from the corruption of selfishness to, to, to the collectivism of altruism, if you will. Uh, but all of this is then recounted in the diary of Governor William Bradford, the governor of that early Plymouth colony. Um, and what he explains is that rather than creating sort of a, a material and social and collective heaven on earth, it led to societal disaster, tensions, and, and, and near starvation loss of the entire colony. He Dr. explains Ailing. that— uh, before yes. we before we get into uh, what Bradford says, because that's where the juicy stuff lies, and I think a lot of the modern relevance uh, as well. Let me just hit the pause button really quick so we can spend just a moment here <laughs> talking about uh, this issue. In fact, when the pilgrims, they first traveled to Holland uh, while they were trying to secure financing uh, to, to pay for the trip. And one of the gentlemen from the group who negotiated the terms of the loan, which required this kind of communal sharing of property, he argued to the group after they got the loan, hey, look, guys, this is going to, quote, foster communion among the group. It was the idea that by having all things in common, which is kind of the root of communism, uh, that we would all have communion. This would be brotherly. We would all kind of share uh, together. Let me just ask you a question before we continue the history. Were they naive? Uh, they, they were naive since there had been uh, experiments with forms of uh, social communalism or communism in the past and in the ancient world and in other societies, all of which had had very contrary and deleterious effects. But there, there, there seems to be running over the centuries this, this notion and the ideas of some that if we only do everything in common, if we share in our work, in our rewards, in our, in our, in our communal existence as, as a society, that somehow that this will bring together a, a, a higher order of humanity. Uh, it, it's as if it's basically a denial of human nature. I wish I was different than I was. I, I wish that others were different than they were. And if we could only change the institutions in which people are living and interacting, well, the change of the institutions will change human nature. And, of course, it doesn't. So uh, we're going to save for the other side of the break, uh, which will begin in just a couple of minutes, what happened when the pilgrims arrived. But we'll set the stage before we go, right? We're talking about the year 1620, which is 400 years ago. They arrive in Plymouth. Uh, they've got, what, 100, 200 people? Do you remember about how many there were? Yes, it was only about 100 to 150, if I remember the exact number. It was a very small colony. Uh, they, 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 it, they, it took them two months to get across the Atlantic. Remember, that's the old-fashioned sailboats in which you depended upon the, the winds and the currents. Uh, and and they, they arrived with nothing but the, the simple tools and implements and supplies that they still had on the ship. And, and they're in a wilderness. And so now it's a matter of deciding how to go about organizing their, their, their affairs uh, to, to survive in this place because th there's no McDonald's drive through to get a burger. <laughs> Tra tragically not. I, I think few of us can contemplate what that type of environment might be like. You're right. Taming the wilderness. There were Native Americans here who, who did kind of understand how to grow certain things uh, better, and there was some knowledge that was shared. But the, the shackles that these pilgrims had was this communal approach to their economic affairs that, that prevented them from having private property, from having the incentive to work hard. We're going to get into this on the other side of the break because there are such potent lessons to talk about as a family 
at the dinner table about modern relevance and what we see in policies and government and economics today where we can actually learn from the pilgrims, not just about, yay, let's be thankful, but let's avoid the mistakes of the past so as not to repeat them in the future. We're joined by Dr. Richard Ebeling, with, uh, who wrote a great article in the Association, Amer- excuse me, American Institute for Economic Research about the true history of Thanksgiving. Stick with KSL News Radio. We'll get into it on the other side. Of the- Welcome back. This is Connor Boyack with Libertas Institute, joined by Dr. Ebeling with the American Institute for Economic Research to talk about why that elementary school version of Thanksgiving is without substance. The history is far more interesting. Dr. Ebeling, before the break, we set the stage. The pilgrims have arrived. The terms of their loan and their approach requires them to have all things in common. Basically, the early stages and forms of communism or socialism, they arrive. Uh, Walk us through the next steps. They arrive. They've got to tame the wilderness. What happens? Well, as again, to emphasize, this is all recorded in the diary of that early uh, Plymouth uh, governor, uh, William Bradford. He explains that... uh, that uh, the men would go out into the fields to work, and the industrious ones would, would do so with great determination. But then other members would, would come in late to work, slothfully, leave early. And, the, uh, the, and their attitude was, look, if we're all sharing equal shares, whether I show up early or late or diligently or lazily, I get the same share as everyone else. On the other hand, the ones who were more conscientious and industrious said, why should I be working harder to support myself and my family, yet he will receive equal shares out of that industry that I have shown. So why should I be as industrious? So more uh, shirking and laziness and slothfulness emerged across the entire colony. The women resented having to cook in common for other people's families, even doing the laundry in common for, for, for other people's families, uh, with anger and resentment and animosity there. As Bradford explains, they went through this actually for, for two uh, 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 cycles of the, of the growing seasons, with the result that, that after the first year, uh, a huge portion of the colony died of starvation. And the same thing repeated itself after the second year. Finally, the elders of the colony got together, Bradford explains, and said, if we go through this one into one more year, we will all perish in the wilderness from lack of food and industry and drive. So they said, what we're going to do is we're going to take this property that we've laid out as the colony's communal land, and we're going to divide them into family plots. And each family will be able to work their own land, and whatever they raise or grow shall be viewed as their private property to to maintain themselves in the coming year. And if there are any surpluses beyond what their own family needs, they are at, at liberty to trade their surplus for the surpluses of that of neighbors who may have grown or, or, or produced some other crops, so that we, there could be a mutual gain from trade of each trading uh, some of what they don't need for what the other has that they do desire. Now, what Bradford then explains is that the men are going out into the field with their sons early in the morning. Each is working diligently on their own private farms. The wives are happily milking the cows, the daughters churning the family butter. The upshot of it was is that rather than, than despair and, and poverty and starvation facing them, at the end of that season, there's a huge harvest of bountifulness. And, and Bradford explains that, that now having survived in the wilderness, they decided to give thanks God, a great thanksgiving to God for, 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 for getting them through this. 
and they had such a bountifulness that they uh, invited some of the the tribesmen of the, the the Indian tribes in the forest to join them. And so, as I have explained to my students, and I, I said in this article that. Uh, was online yesterday from the American Institute for Economic Research, is that when we're sitting around the Thanksgiving table on Thursday with our relatives and friends, as much as the government is permitting us to do so this year, and we're carving up the, the turkey and passing around the, the yams and the cranberry sauce and the stuffing and, and, and the other dressings, let us remember that what we are really celebrating here is the lesson of the failure of communism and the birth of free enterprise and capitalism in America. And that is the legacy that the American experience is about. Recognize that people are guided by self-interest. The issue is how do we harness self-interest so people can improve their own circumstances, but indirectly the betterment of others. And that's the nature of the free market. You have your rights to life, liberty, and honestly acquired property. You trade peacefully and voluntarily on mutual terms with your neighbors for mutual gains from trade. And all are made better off by serving their fellow in the pursuit of their own interests with neither harm, nor fraudulence, nor theft. That is the truth of what has made America great, a land of freedom and peace and prosperity by recognizing the individual rights of each other and expecting government to secure them and not violate and plunder them. Dr. Ebling, there's a well-known quote that those who don't learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. And it seems even with a common holiday like Thanksgiving, so few people have ever been taught uh, the true history of Thanksgiving, exposed to Governor Bradford's journal, where he documents exactly what you're discussing uh, to the point of measuring the amounts of acreage that had been planted of corn. And then finally, when private property was kind of introduced and they abolished this communal approach, as you point out, the, the acreage skyrockets. The, the total yield goes through the roof because everyone can work for themselves, the men certainly. But as he records in his journal, he says, and I quote, the women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to set corn, which before, and he's meaning before the rearrangement of property rights, before they would allege weakness and inability, right? The calling in sick or being lazy, as you mentioned. And so uh, what is your perspective that if we are denied this history, if people today don't understand the lessons of the past so as to you know, avoid them, uh, avoid those mistakes in the future. Do you see a connection between that ignorance of history and the kind of economic or political ignorance that uh, plagues our society today? Yes, I think we need to remember that just as we take for granted in nature that like causes bring about like effects, the same is true in the in, in human society. Uh, if you set up institutions that have perverse incentives of laziness and slothfulness instead of industry and honesty, you will have bad consequences. I mean, have we not just finished a, a century, the 20th century, in which there was one experiment after experiment in these forms of socialism and communism? It led to economic stagnation, despair, tyranny, the murder of tens of millions of people when they did not obey the, the central planning rules of the regulators and the controllers and, and the political paternalists. It's time to learn this history and recognize that America was founded on different principles, different principles of individual freedom, private property, free enterprise, and respect for the rights of others. And that is what gave us both liberty and prosperity. The ideal that once we a person can say, I'm proud to be an American, 
and not as a cliche or an arrogance, but someone who is proud to be in a country that recognized the right of the individual to peacefully live and prosper with his own life and not be a slave to the state. Well, Charlie Brown, notwithstanding, as we pay homage to our uh, exemplar of childhood, uh, the, the history is far more nuanced and interesting. You know, Thanksgiving, its true origin should really be regarded as a triumph of, you know, property rights and capitalism over communism and socialism, right? Prosperity and property rights over being in bondage to one's neighbor, even for an altruistic purpose that fundamentally human nature requires incentives uh, and, and people are going to call in sick if they don't need to go to work. Uh, Dr. Ebeling uh, with the American Institute for Economic Research sharing with us the true history, the far more interesting history and relevant to our modern day of Thanksgiving. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, and stick with have us. Most happy, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you as well, Dr. Ebeling. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Stick with KSL News Radio after this break for more good stuff to come. I appreciate being able to be your guest host today. There's so much that we've talked about, a snapshot of what's to come in the upcoming legislative session, uh, reconsidering the war on drugs. This is going to be a conversation in the months and years ahead that I know a lot of stakeholders are interested about. It affects police reform, criminal justice reform, our courts. Uh, all kinds of issues. And so it was great to talk about that and give a snapshot for what's to come. Certainly talking with Chris Koopman at the Center for Growth and Opportunity about the free market. Does it exist in Utah? Do we have the right regulatory reform? And what does that look like for Utah being a pro-business state and a free market state as we like to think of it? We need a regulatory sandbox to be able to protect people's rights. And finally, the true story of Thanksgiving in 48 hours around the table. Let's all make sure we're talking together about the true history of Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you all, and I appreciate you listening to KSL News Radio. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.